Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. Here for episode number 30. Um, Whoa! I know, big boy, huh? Big boy. Yeah. Somebody's the big boy. (laughs) (laughs) I have to turn the screen off because your face, if if I could have just shown your face with that, that was hilarious. (laughs) It's not so funny. It's not so funny at all. Oh, man. So, hey, yeah, number 30. Wow, we have talked a lot of crap. We have, and it's even flown over, flown over, it's even poured over into my uh, personal life. As in, um, do we get to share what is the absolute worst thing you can say to someone who happens to be a Mormon? Absolutely. In fact, you have to talk about that. Because, you know, all this stuff that we're doing, and then (laughs) in one single line out of my mouth i absolutely you know destroy everything i've ever done it's you know i think this is why the bible says the tongue is sharper than any two-edged sword or whatever more than in the uh, multitude of words sin is not absent i I, let me tell you it uh it was pretty funny why don't you tell the story because i think it'd be funnier hearing it from your point of view than from mine because the second it came out of my mouth i was like can I get those words back? Can I somehow pull them back? No. The, the words, they keep coming. Stop talking. Here's the deal. Pete, Pete made one of the funniest faux pas, and I was in the other room when it happened, but I could hear it. And I was, I was changing my baby who woke up, and I hear Pete. I've left Pete in the other room. This is post-podcast. And we, the other day, we did a podcast, you know, face-to-face. And I think that was number 28. And so there we are, we're talking and, you know, we're done. And when we finish, Pete and I are hanging out, talking a little bit. And my wife's best friend comes over and she, you know, she, she's a Mormon. I did not know that she was a Mormon. I think that's an important statement to make here. I had no clue. Hey, no clue. She's your wife's best friend, which as we said in the last podcast, your wife is a bigger missionary than you are. Absolutely. I mean, she has heard the gospel front, left, and center. And the reality is here here we are, you know, like we're waiting. My wife is out with my mother-in-law, my, ba- my uh, five-year-old. And Heather gets there a little bit earlier. And they're all standing around in the kitchen and uh, and I say, hey, I have to go out. But before that, yeah, I mean, it could have been a hint, right? Like when we were talking about Enoch, and well, uh, she says, right, oh, he- not only was Enoch taken up to heaven, but you know, she, uh, the whole city of Enoch was taken up. And I and I'm thinking, I'm looking over at Pete, like, there's no way for me to say, like, hey, Pete, this is my 
uh, wife's best friend, Heather, she's a Mormon. You know, I mean, I know the commercials are like, and I'm a Mormon, but they get kind of annoyed if you're like, this is Heather and she's a Mormon. Actually, right? I want so, to correct you. You absolutely could have said that. And I would have appreciated it had you said that. <laughs> so yeah, especially after what happened. Well, because we're all talking about, I mean, for like five, ten minutes, we're talking about <laughs> stop laughing. I can't believe this happened. Stop. It was so funny. We're talking about Baptist. We're talking I've never about been punched so many times in a row as when we went out. We went out to the car and we're like taking the recording equipment. You must have punched me like five, six times because I didn't know one that you had heard it, and two. Anyway, so all right, all right. I got to tell so, them the whole story. You can't just jump to the punchline. I know. I know. She comes so, over. So, we're at at your mother in law's house doing the recording. She comes over and we start talking about Baptist because. <laughs> you know, I, I somehow, you know, my background being Baptist came up and she's like, oh, so there's different types of Baptists. Well, that can mean anything. I mean, I mean, there are different types of Baptists. And then you go, oh, yeah. Did you know that Enoch didn't die, that he was just taken up? Because we had had that discussion earlier in the week. And I'm like, look, it says in the New Testament, Enoch did not die because you were like, well, he had to have died. Right. I mean, because that's just what they well. do. Well, it says so that he would not taste death. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting because there, you know, theologians will differ on maybe he was taken up and then um, so he wouldn't experience death around other people. Right. But then you have to ignore You have to ignore the verse in Hebrew that specifically addresses it that says he did not die. So I, I had pointed that out. I'm like, dude, I just read Hebrews and it says right there that he didn't die. So. So you make that comment to her, and she goes, "Yeah, the whole city, you know, got taken up." And I, I go, um, and, and we're both looking blankly at her, like, "What?" <laughs> and she goes, "She goes, the, you know, the city of Enoch, the whole thing was it." And she's looking at us like we're nuts. And then Pete, being the Baptist, uh, up, up, upraised kid that he was, you know, he he goes, "Is that in the Bible?" I go, and "That's not in the Bible." I go, "I've never seen that in the Bible." And she's like. Oh, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about or something like that. Like she backs out gracefully from that. I had no idea that this is like a Mormon concept that like now I know now when someone says the whole city of Enoch's taken up, <laughs> ding, 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 Mormon, right? But that thought doesn't go through my head. So, so, then, so from now on, you should, if in doubt, use the Enoch test. <laughs> exactly. So do you believe Enoch was one single guy who was taken up or he led a whole city? And when Did you read Enoch the whole sin to heaven alone, or were there people with him? When when you actually go, like I read from, it was either the LDS site or I know it was Brigham Young because I sent you the link because I had to look it up after this. You know, after I find out she's a Mormon, it's like a major you know tenet of the Mormon faith is like Enoch came back and was literally preaching Jesus Christ, and the whole city yeah. turned and. And was totally righteous, and God took the whole city, which well doesn't make any sense. Write, like another three or four books, you got to fill them up with something. So you just take the guys from the first book, you know, and you make a whole thing. Like I picture, like the city of Enoch. That's probably like the Emerald City, you know. Like he's probably of, ruling. You do in get it, that you know? picture. You yeah. absolutely do. So did you know Nobody about the, city? the wizard? Did you know about the city of Enoch before she like that the Mormons believe that? Had you read about that? No, but it sounded cool. I wanted to go there. You know, it sounded like a you know an epic place filled with men of renown. So um, Enoch. So then the the baby starts to wake up and starts to cry. So you go in the other room to change it, and she and I are continuing to talk. Again, I don't know. She's a Mormon at this point. I have no my clue. top ten funniest moments ever in my life. <laughs> so just so I'm going. Um, I go well. You know, we we just interviewed uh, uh, Jill Martin. Uh, Richie, um, she's the daughter of uh, Walter Martin. I go, you know who Walter Martin is, right? And she's like, no, who is that? And I go, well, you know, he wrote uh, the book, The Kingdom of the Cults, and he he was kind of the, the forefront, the Nick, first guy. Nickname Mormon's Bane. <laughs> so I go, he was the first guy on the front line dealing with the cults. He did a lot with, uh, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses. And, um, and uh, like, I, I talked more about Jehovah's Witnesses, and then I just kind of tack in there, and the Mormons. And she goes... <laughs> And she goes, uh, I'm a Mormon. And so literally. Now, now the, the normal person at that point would stop talking. Would shut up. <laughs> but I can't. 
So literally, <laughs> what's the next words out of my mouth? Because the point of bringing up the kingdom of the cults literally had nothing to do with Mormons. Oh, I was, was like so making a reference point to who this person was. And so the very next line out of my mouth is, oh, well, then you know all about the cults. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my gosh. I'm in the other room. <laughs> And it was like the funniest thing, man. I am dying. You said you're about ready to walk out with the baby and you hear me say that and you have to turn around and stay in the room because you're laughing so hard. Dude, seriously. Yeah, I had to stay like another five minutes because I I was doubled over on the floor laughing because I first heard it and I hear hear what you're saying and I can hear. I've got the door wide open. I'm just down the hall. And I hear you talking about, you know, and we interviewed Walter Martin's daughter and I hear this and I hear you saying, oh, you know, he's done the work. And I hear her say, and I'm only half listening. And then I hear her say, I'm a Mormon. And it was like in my brain, you could hear a pin drop, you know, like, oh, you know, kind of like, oh, there's awkward, you know. And then and then suddenly these words are, well, you know all about the cults then. <laughs> like who thinks of that? As the line that they're going to say to a Mormon. I mean. Oh, my gosh. I, of, of of the top ten things not to say in that situation, that's number one. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm like, because my point was bringing up that Jill had written the book um, using her father's material, The Kingdom of the Occult. Because that's where we were heading. Like I, Because I had never thought of astrology as being of the occult. I don't, I just, the thought had never like meshed those two together. And that's where I was going with the conversation. So like the whole Mormon thing was a detour that was not the point. And yet that's so, you know, thankfully the house is a little bit dark. It's getting later on. We haven't really turned on any lights because I'm getting so embarrassed. I can feel my face get red and being a redhead. Like when a redhead gets embarrassed, your face turns red, you know, Yeah. That they're you, you look like that guy in uh, Big Trouble Little China, that sumo guy who like suddenly blows up and his face turns red and steams come out of his ears. Totally remember, remember it. And that's exactly oh, oh. what happened. So yeah. So then, you know, I try and salvage it from that and I just, you know, carry on about the kingdom of the occult and and um and so then when you know the night was done and I'm leaving, I'm like, Hey, why don't you walk me out to my car? Because I didn't know that you had heard. And I'm oh. like, why did you tell me she was Mormon? You're like, I can't believe you said that. <laughs> so it was like, <laughs> oh yeah, my gosh, it was, it was bad, man. It was bad. But I have to say, in fairness, you recovered it so well. Like that, that actually wasn't. But you know, the story has a happy ending because you're all Americans. You need that when you go to the cinema. Um, the uh, it, it's so funny. By the way, on that, uh, as an aside. There, many people don't know this, but movies in America and Britain sometimes have different endings. Oh, yeah. Uh, movies that, that the British don't like happy endings, right? They're like, hey, it rains every day here. Life sucks. Um, you know, basically our country got annihilated in World War II and World War One. We've lost whole generations of people. Life sucks. And if you try to tell us it's like zippity doo on Uncle Remus and all that. We're going to get pissed off. So, um, you know, it, it, so it's just a funny thing. They're very cynical uh, as a people. So anyways, and as, as Americans, I have literally watched different endings to films because I've watched one version in Britain and then flown home for the holidays and watched the same version in America and been like, hey, that was a different ending. And it's the happy ending. So uh, it'd be cool to, to to tell you which episodes those were. But this story I apologize had happy for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, this story, <laughs> I, I don't know, Pete. I don't know. But this story has a happy ending because basically uh, you did save it. And it didn't seem to wonder. It kind of rolled off uh, like water off a duck's back or no, I can't say that. I was about to say I never. I, all I'm all I'm saying is I never would have thought in a million years that your wife's best friend would be Mormon, considering how the two of you are. Like, why well, it it gets even more complicated. That uh, that girl. Uh, let's see. My wife met her in high school. Um, before they were friends, she and I dated, and pre Christ, um, pre my conversion. She told the guy who shared the gospel with me that 
hey, if you're going to share with something he was sharing with her. And she goes, look, I'm a Mormon. I'm good. You know, if uh, you want to share with somebody, you need to go talk to that guy. And she pointed me out to him. And uh, he was a student teacher. And he was like, huh. So he started praying for me. And that's why I'm saved. Hmm. So interestingly enough. And then another dumb thing that uh, that I did this last week, because um, we're actually recording this. Uh, uh, for us, it's a week early because you're taking next week off. So we're recording this a week early. And so we've just, I mean, we've just had Christmas a couple of days ago. And uh, so what do I do? You know, there's basically three of us that work on the magazine. You're the the, uh, managing editor for all the content. Um, I don't know what the heck I do, but I do a lot of work. That's all I know. And then we got our graphics dude, who's actually the only one who gets paid out of this whole thing. And he's over. (laughs) What's up with that? (laughs) I know. What's up? He's over in the Philippines. And... um, so I'm like talking to to Peyton and I'm like, uh, hey, yeah, by the way, uh, I gave uh, Ben's, you know, the 24th and the 25th off and just told him to, you know, invoice me for those days anyway. And and uh, we'll still pay him. And, and you go, you go, oh, that's awfully nice of you, you Scrooge. <laughs> I, I said something like, hey, that's great, Scrooge. You know, it's like he gives Bob Cratchit like one day off, you know, Christmas. Oh, thank you, sir. God bless you, sir. <laughs> like, like I gave him two days off or What's you know. so funny is I'm thinking because I'm I'm looking back on that conversation. I'm like, why did I bring it up at all? Like I wanted some pat on the back. Hey, you know, we're gonna pay this dude and he's not even working for us. And you're like, oh, that's awfully nice. You screwed. Give him the week off, man. Tell him like Christmas Eve to New Year's. You're off, pal. But no, actually, we need him right now. Yeah. What are you talking about? I'm not giving him a week off. We got another no, issue to put out. So more bricks, less straw. More bricks, less straw. So anyway, that that that's uh that's the reason why Pete Mitchell isn't a church planner because um you know the things that come out of my mouth are just uh pretty ridiculous most of the time. I have to go rethink my calling if that's the case. Well, it's a little late for you. You're committed. I was gonna say I'm in too deep, man, but shoot if that's a requirement, I'm out. So so hey, what are we talking about gonna, today? Well, that's where I was oh, going. Oh, Great and I almost fight. forgot. Um uh, I'm also going to need you to go ahead and come in on Sunday, too, okay? We uh, lost some people this week, and uh, we need to sort of play catch-up. Thanks. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, it's funny because we are talking. We left off last time talking about the three dates, and we talked about the uh, vision meeting. Core team commitment cutoff, which I know sucks as a title, but we got to come back to that because there's a word in there, core team commitment cutoff. Um, we talked about the fact that uh, Gideon had those guys go down to the water, all the warriors, and he had to send most of them home. And he had a very small band left over afterwards that actually went to the Battle of Jericho, and God won the battle. And they knew that, look, you know, the Lord... Out of that came God saying, "Hey, you know, um, I, you know, I, I'll fight for you. Um, it's who I am." And they realize that the, the battle belongs to the Lord. And so, you know, in church playing, that's a cool deal. You, you're about to do something pretty big, bigger than you, with a very small group of people. And but you need with those group of people, you need to be thinning out and weeding out. Um, just, you know, what I call the Klingons, you know, just those that are, they're just the looky-loos or just kind of clinging on and it's time for them to go. It's time for you to like raise your leg up, look at your socks and start picking the hitchhikers off. Remember those little weird CD things that stick to your socks? You need to get those guys off because they're just looking for a free ride now. And what you're telling, (laughs) no, just joking. Uh, what you're telling people. (laughs) <laughs> what you're telling people is, look, if you're coming with us the rest of the way, you need to be all in. And there's the joke that farmers used to tell in Wales about the difference in your breakfast. When you're looking at your breakfast, you got like a cooked English breakfast. You got eggs, you got bacon, you got beans. I know it sounds weird, but it's good. And then you got toast and stewed tomato. They'd say, what was the difference uh, in the chicken and the pig um, in regards to your breakfast or commitment level? Well, the... Uh, the chicken contributed to your breakfast, but the pig was committed. 
right? He was all in. Like, he had to die in order for you to have that breakfast. Chicken just laid an egg for you. And so, uh, thanks for explaining that, talking. by the way. I was just saying it's not a good, good joke if you got to explain it, but you know, <laughs> I just figured, you know, it took me a couple of times. I just smiled and laughed, you know, so they didn't think I was stupid, but, um, a couple of times and I went, Oh, I get it now. But here's the deal commitment cut off. <clears throat> you're actually looking for commitment. So you need them to be committed and that. We didn't talk about this last time, but that means if you're coming, if you're marching with us to go take this city, um, we actually need you to uh, not lap the water like a dog. We actually need you to kind of conduct yourselves like, like you know, grown-up boys and girls. It's time to grow up now. Um, we're depending on you. It's like when you join a soccer team. Um, you turn up. If, if you practice all week with a soccer team, you turn up to the game. You don't just, if you're the goalie, you don't just say, oh, sorry, guys. You know, I was tired um, last Saturday. I didn't, you know, your team, it, it, there's a sense of uh, commitment and responsibility and teammanship that comes in. And you've got to now foster that with this group of people. People are used to going to churches where they get lost in a crowd. They're one of a number, maybe 2,000, 3,000, 10,000, 20,000, depending on the church. It doesn't matter if they come or not. That all changes. And you have to tell them, look, I want you to think of this as like we are a team. And so that word team means a lot. And so I would, I would major on that. And, uh, and now you're going to need them to commit in a couple areas. Number one, you need their finances because it's not fair for you as the church planner to be paying everything out of pocket. If a hall to rent, like in Long Beach for us, it costs us about $1,300 a month to rent our hall. Um, That's really crazy, that, too, when you think about it. It's really expensive. Um, Cause we, because we use it one day a week. I mean, I had no yeah. idea it was that much. It's because we're in Long Beach. Like uh, Charlie, for example, in Whittier, um, he gets use of the building anytime he wants because no one uses the auditorium. And he gets a classroom. And to add on, I can't remember, it's some like crazy amount, like nothing that he needs to pay. And so when we went there, we were like, dude, you're going to have this whole wing of the school before too long. Um, but in Long Beach, it's very expensive. So to ask a dude to pay $1,300 out of pocket, you, you just got to think about this stuff. Then there's coffee supplies. Um, think of all the styrofoam cups. Think of all the uh, the equipment. You know, you got to have something that will percolate that amount of coffee. You got to have containers uh, that will hold that amount of coffee. You need to have um, sugar, stirs, baskets. from. I mean, it's just a lot of equipment that people don't even think about. So you need them to be investing in this mission. You need them to be putting their finances into it. Hmm. Well, that's that's. Uh, I would say that's almost like a given, but I, I guess it's not. I mean, I guess a lot of people. I I don't know what they think. I mean, people want a free ride. I mean, think think of the average churchgoer. Um, the statistics show that good giving. In America, is six percent. We can talk about being a, a, a Christian nation all you want, but the last part of anybody's life to get converted is their pocketbook. So, ten percent is the bare minimum in the Old Testament. If you if you study it, it was actually closer to twenty two percent. If you look at all the giving that was given in the Old Testament, it was actually twenty two percent of your income. So a quarter. So now you're talking like taxes. That's what it was. Well, some people want to say, well, you know, that's not biblical. Now, the people who say that do not tend to be generous givers. I'll just tell you that right now. They're, they're looking to get out of something. Um, people who have a hard time with giving 10%, I'm just telling you, Old Testament or New Testament, you are not a biblical giver. Okay? So I don't care if you want to argue about the number of percentage. According to the Old Testament, the odds don't work in your favor. And according to the New Testament, the odds do not work in your favor. Um, 10% ought to be the bare minimum. That would be called the tithe. It means tenth. Plus, on top of that, there were offerings. So there were tithes and offerings. And God says, bring those into the storehouse, and I will bless you. And so, you know, uh, just saying people who are coming into a church plant, they need to realize it's time to grow up, guys. 
it's time to stop playing church and it's time to invest in mission. And that's how I would sell that to a core team. You know, one of the things too that I'll just tack on here that I thought was uh, really interesting was when you were mentioning about uh, John Wesley, could have been a couple of weeks ago, um, you had mentioned that, you know, John Wesley had figured out what he needed every month and then anything above and beyond that he was going to put towards mm-hmm. mission. And I remember hearing that and thinking, you know, that to me was a really novel concept. I mean, as, as funny as that would probably sound to most people, to me, that was a novel concept. I loved it because I was like, okay, yeah. well, if I can figure out what that number is, and it's something I've been having to think a lot about lately because my mortgage is changing and all that other type of stuff. And it's like, okay, what's the number I need every month? And then, you know, if I were to to take a a, a a a tip, a clue from like a guy like Francis Chan, who's like, okay, look, you know, giving away all this money, and just said, okay, I, I, all I need is X amount to survive, then everything above and beyond that I can give to like to me, that's just a, a novel concept. I'm not saying I do that because I yeah. don't do that right now, but no, you know, no, I, but I love the it, concept. That that idea will like so many things. It will, it will, it will be a seed planted, and it will begin to germinate. Like, if my needs are met, like Paul said, having food and clothing, we will be content with that. Um, and and so, you know, there are only a few. There's a sense in which you get more of a buzz with seeing people come to faith that it becomes like a hobby. You know how like when you when you go crazy for a hobby, right? Um, and I'm like this, if I get into a hobby, I don't go halfway. I don't go halfway into anything. I don't go into church planning halfway, right? As soon as I realized I was a church planner, that was it. It didn't matter if you tempted me with a, a, a mega church with a fat salary. I was like, you know what? That's cool. But that's like offering uh, tennis to a video game nerd. You know, it, it, as cool as tennis may be, He's just never going to do, he's never going to leave the living room and, uh, you know, raise the blinds and actually admit to the existence of the sun because he's so into playing that freaking video game. And that's how I felt. Like, so I throw myself into hobbies. Well, I get more of a thrill in doing what I do um, than anything else. And I think for people, that's kind of, that's what will happen, Pete. It's like for Wesley, what he loves, same with Paul, was it doesn't matter uh, my earthly success. What matters is the spiritual impact. And that's where Jesus says, invest, lay up treasures in heaven um, uh, where moth does not steal. Always, no matter how much stuff you get, today's like buzz that you got, that little buzz you got from purchasing. People get a little endorphin rush from spending or from buying a new product, or we just had Christmas, and I got a tool chest from Craftsman. That was awesome, right? It's one of those rolling tool chests. Those are awesome. Like, I've wanted one of those all my life. My wife picked me up one. Um, that was a buzz, you know? But, you know, you know, 10 years from now, I won't even care if I have it. You know what I mean? Realistically. Right. right. But Jesus is saying, look, this is something for eternity, like Schindler's List, where he's giving up everything. He's selling everything. He demolishes his business piece by piece. He dismantles it to set Jews free. That is the gospel picture of what it means to be a frontline gospel minister. Now, I'm going to step out and be controversial here. I believe that churches have been using congregants, and congregants have been using churches. In other words, pastors nowadays, if I want to make six figures, I go into full-time pastoral ministry. And this has always bothered me because um, churches don't have to be frontline when they've reached a certain size. They're what's called a tractional model, which I don't have a problem with. What I have a problem with is when a church forgets that it's there for the lost and it becomes an entity that exists to keep the machine going, exists for itself, and sees people as a means to money so that it can keep the machine going. And so that that's a bill. If you've read Church Zero, ching then you know that that's kind of something that I really hit at. Um, I, I come out swinging against that. And the reason why is because there are six, seven, eight billion people going to hell every day. Or excuse me, well, they're on their way to hell every day. And the number of people that slip into eternity minute by minute 
are going to hell and we don't have time to mess around. And so what I believe is that often pastors have been saying, just keep coming, keep your money coming in and we will preach messages that you like and we will not offend you or disturb you because we want you to keep coming and keep giving. And this is in evangelical circles. I'm, I'm not even mincing words here. Like, you know, the kick gloves come off right now because uh, this is what's happening. Um, and meanwhile, the congregation is sitting there going, thanks for not making us uncomfortable. uncomfortable. Um, as our spiritual leader, we will keep throwing money at you if you keep telling us what we want to hear so we don't have to feel guilty but can still get the free ride to heaven. And so... That's I believe that there's been a using that's been going on in American churches. It's been both ways that both have been scratching the backs of the other. But what if you reverse that? Right. You you got guys like Francis Chan, like David Platt. They're not in it for themselves. They're modeling consistently a gospel centered, Christ centered, lost centric way of doing things that has transformed their church members. So when we're talking, if you read the book Radical, uh, you have the people that go through their house. They pick out all the stuff they don't need. If they have three TVs, they take two of them. They go to a local motel. They unload all their extra clothes, all their extra stuff, a bunch of money. And they come home and they go, that was the best night of our life. Hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? There's a transformation. There is a living out the gospel. There is a, and they get addicted. That becomes our hobby. Then they're like, what else can I do? Well, I want to, I want to uh, start getting involved in missions. And the buzz becomes when you're going to these other places and you're seeing the gospel transform people that it never would have transformed if you hadn't been there. And that's what we're trying to do with our core team. We're trying to get them to understand, like Rick Warren in his best-selling book, The Purpose-Driven Life, it's not about you. That's it. (laughs) Wow. Church Zero, do it again. Oh, yeah. (gasps) You know, uh, by the way, um, just because we've got that sound effect ready, and for no other reason that, that, than that I read Pete's book. Um, this week I, I read Lead or Fail. Um, <laughs> caught me off guard with that. Ooga. But that book, by the way, is awesome. If you want to get inspired to plan a church, I did not realize. I hadn't read it. I, I had it on my bed. I hadn't read it. Those are all the principles of uh, church planning. It's things like be bold is chapter one, take great risk is chapter uh, two, and I can't remember what chapter three is, but it's good. I'll have to uh, let the guy know who actually wrote the book that, that you liked it. <laughs> I asked him, I'm like, Pete, that was super good. Did you write it? <laughs> <laughs> you did. You did. I did. <laughs> what I thought was funny is um, I was quoting the line from Goodwill Hunting when he goes, I read your book. Oh, you're the one. <laughs> I knew I knew that quote. I just didn't know where it was from. It's been in so uh, many movies. I mean, it's a common yeah. it's a common line, but well, so here's the deal. The second thing is attendance. Um one of my my favorite church plants is in Bagland. It was the first one I was a part of. It was, it was before I realized I was a church planner, but it was a church plant. It had started out. I was supposed to plant a church out of Lloyd Jones's. I was their evangelist. And the, the deal was I was going to plant this church. And so, uh, Bagland community was a nearby uh, neighborhood and it had no gospel witness whatsoever. So you have to imagine somewhere like, um, seal beach and there's not a single gospel preaching Hmm. church there. Um, that, that was the town. And so, um, so we planted a church and originally I was supposed to be the pastor, um, of that and not realizing I was a church planner yet. I declined to take it because the pastor I was serving with left and I became the interim pastor and all the balls were rolling to plant that church. And the worship leader who was going to be doing it with us, he kept saying, dude, you're, you're still doing this. Right. And I said, I can't. Because if I go do that, I'll empty this church out um, if I go there. So once they find the church, uh, the pastor at lloyd Jones's church, um, I can stop being the interim pastor, and I'll go somewhere else where I don't drain this church. This work is important. It needs to continue on. 
and I need to get, you know, kind of further afield. So I took a pastor an hour away and I incidentally, I went to the black spot in Wales known as the black spot because revival in the land of revivals had never hit there. And I got my teeth kicked in, hmm. but that's another story for another time. But, uh, but anyways, um, so, but I told him, I said, look, I'll come and do evangelism. And I, I was, you know, I don't want to say, Hey, I was a gifted evangelism, but that's the power of the Holy Spirit. So I can't take any credit. One sows and other waters and God gives at that time in my ministry, God was giving the increase and I would go and I would preach there and people would get saved. Well, what the, what the worship leader, um, in absence of me saying, I'll, I'll be the pastor here. He kept the ball rolling and he got that church planted. He did all the admin, he did all the uh, the normal stuff, and he agreed to do the teaching. And he was qualified. He was very gifted. And in fact, I would say right now, he's probably one of the most gifted men in Wales. But no one took him seriously. He was just kind of sidelined to be uh, a worship leader. And no one kind of in, empowered him. And uh, but, but all that to say, he had a core team of people, and he made them promise this. He said, look, um, for one year, I don't want you to take a vacation on a Sunday. You can take a vacation Monday through Saturday. You can take a vacation starting Sunday night. But please, for the next year, all I ask is when you plan your holiday, you're here every single Sunday. Boom. I remember thinking, well, that's that's pretty gutsy, Dad, because they get six weeks a year paid vacation in Britain. I don't know if you know. Wow, that. I'm moving to Britain. Dude, it's almost everywhere, you know, in the Western world. Most Europeans get that. Australians get that. Uh, New Zealanders, the Kiwis, they for sure, I think they get more than that. But uh, it's Americans are like, they eke out like the vacation, like, oh, maybe you get one week a year. That leads to early deaths and heart attacks, but hey, in Europe, that's hey, the deal. I gave the I gave Ben's two days off, twenty fourth and the twenty fifth. Come on, uh, hey, all uh, two words, Jacob Marley. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 here's the deal: you uh, you basically you need them to come in. You have to tell them, guys. It's like a soccer team. So so the core team commitment cutoff, right? We 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 want to talk a little bit more about the launch today, but. Um, but it's important that they know that you're saying, hey, for those of you that came and support us up to this time, hey, thanks so much for being with us. We really appreciate your support. Um, you know, if you're not coming with us, if you're not going the, the last leg of the journey where we're actually going to launch a church, hey, no problem. You have been really essential in what we've done. You've been a great encouragement. But, uh, well, see you later, right? And there's no shame in that. There's no problem with that. Um, but you, for the others, you're looking at them and saying, right, guys, now here's what it means for the rest of you. And now, you have to lay this out. Let, let me ask, did, okay, so don't take any vacations on Sunday. What about, you know, if your work every once in a while you have to work on Sunday, was that also like, hey, you know, whatever you do, you know? Yeah. I mean, well, how, you how know, do you deal with that? reason. I mean, it's funny you ask that because we, we're we talking about a blue-collar industrial town. I mean, Port Talbot was where Blade Runner was filmed, and that's that's where Lloyd-Jones' church was. Um, it, it is The skyline is dominated by uh, a massive steelworks the size of a small city. I have stood in those furnaces, not in them, but next to them behind heat-resistant glass and watched furnaces the size of you know two very large houses with liquid metal pouring. So these guys, they knew what it was to be in shift. Most of South Wales is industrial, so uh, they're on shift work. So that that was just within reason. Um, that was actually the, the people he's working with. And that that kind of was part of his motivation in even asking that. Was, Look, I know I'm going to be uh, missing some of you uh, because of shift work, but you know, it, you have to not be shy about this. Um, if you're basically doing what Gideon did, if you, you know, bring the water to your mouth, great. But if you lap it up like a dog, you're, you're, it may seem like a small thing, but it's a big deal. It would be a big deal in business. Well, I just didn't show up. You get talked to for that. But for some reason in the kingdom of God, specifically in a church plant, because you're on mission, 
it just is ironic that we will give so much attention to uh, not missing work. You know, oh, I can't miss work, so I'm going to stay home Sunday. Um, where's the priority, really? You know, um, and I, I get some people be like, dude, where my paycheck is? Well, that's cool, but that's kind of where Jesus is saying, look, invest in the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he will add all these other things to you. Um, you know, I, I just, you know, for me as a church planner, I just know what it's like at times to rush out in front, yelling charge, and to look back and see no one behind you. Hmm. And I learned that the hard way in my younger days in ministry. And so you'll remember when I gave my John Wayne speeches to the church and I was like, hey, you know, I'd rather just out the gate, just everybody go home now. Because when we get to the walls of Jericho, I don't want to look around and find that, you know, a few thousand of you ran away, you know. And I love how, you know, before they go to that battle, he's like, anyone who's scared and doesn't want to be here, go home. (laughs) I love that. And and God does that before great battles in, in the Old Testament. Anyone who doesn't want to be here, you're scared, go home. Anyone who's newly married, go home, right, for your first year of marriage. That'll jack you up as well. So, you know, all those kinds of things, you can't be ashamed to do that. The other thing is serving, right? Remember, we're, we're, we're discipling these people in the core team. We're trying to tell them, guys, we don't want you to be spectators. We want you to be participants. Church is not a spectator sport. It's not like leave it to the professionals and I'll be an armchair warrior. Um, We want you to learn to serve. We want you to learn to use your gifts. And part of that core team is going to shape what you end up doing. And and we'll talk in a few minutes about gift-driven ministry. But you have to tell them, look, guys, we need you to serve. Um, Not just to 10. You've been used to getting a free ride. You've been a hitchhiker. You are now going to become what Paul calls... Everyone, when he greets at the end of his letter, my fellow workers, my fellow workers, my partners in the gospel, that's what these people are going to be. And you've got to kind of reshape their identity. And and I think there's no problem and no shame, and it doesn't demean your role in any way to look at every single one of those people and say, from today or from tonight on, you are a church planter. Because that's what they are. They're planting the church with you. You cannot do it without them. Does that make sense? It does. So you're you would consider all of them church planner, not just the dude who's um, leading it, so to speak. Absolutely. Anybody who comes with me um, becomes a church planner. Um, there's that great line from uh, Banner Brothers, uh, the book, and I think it's from the interview as well. I just know that uh, it's definitely in the book where um, one of the guys, uh, I think it's Garnier, he he, he says. Uh, my grandson asked me, Grandpa, were you a hero? And he said, and I said, no, uh, but I served with a bunch of them. And that's what it thats what it feels like if you're doing it right, that you're serving with a team. They are the crew. I mean, to the point where you look at what I'm doing right now, I'm handing over a church um, to a team, a team of elders and deacons, but Really, the team is a lot bigger than that. I mean, the team is kind of everybody. If you look at a church plan, almost everybody is serving there, isn't it, Pete? I mean, everybody's doing something, you know? Yeah, you kind of have to. I mean, first of all, those of us that came up from Huntington Beach, I I would venture to say that most of the people who came up from Huntington Beach would not be a part of the Long Beach Church were it not for serving. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly it. You you are in a place where um, people are learning to be Christians. I, I would say that the place where you actually, you get saved, right? You get saved and you know God wants to use you. You go sharing the gospel. You just, the Holy Spirit's in you. It's all fresh. It hasn't been tainted. And you know God wants to use you. And then suddenly... Um, Suddenly, sorry, I'm making a really, sorry, selling a Billy Ocean there. Um, you suddenly go to church and it all gets tamped down, it all gets smothered with a wet blanket. Suddenly, you go to church and it's the place where you quickly learn, oh, I guess God doesn't want to use me, He wants to use those people 
because they're the professionals. And, and I know Frank Viola was hitting on this a little bit. I think that in a, in a church plant, people suddenly on a core team come alive because, and, and I've seen people break down in tears because they realize God can use them hmm. for the first time. And they might have been saved for 20, 30 years. That is one of the greatest joys of uh, working with a core team is watching these people. They knew because of the spirit within them that they were meant to be used but nobody had any time for them, any room for them. And suddenly you're saying, guys, I'm asking you to commit to these things. And although it sounds almost like you're being a Nazi, it's actually super refreshing for people. Does that make sense? It does. And I also look at it, though, from another perspective of um, what what it does to someone to use our term here to get on mission. Like for myself, as an example, I would say that, um, you know, in the past, I've never done anything, you know, to speak of. I had summer jobs, you know, working at camps and stuff, Christian camps. And like that that was as close to ministry as I got, which is not to say that it's nothing because, you know, we did do stuff and, you know, I did see people's lives changed. But and I've mentioned this before, I don't know if on the podcast, but certainly to you, you know, one of the excuses I always used, uh, you know, when I'd pray to God, I'd be like, you know, God, use me, but first make me ready for use. And I look back on that and I was like, that was such a cop out, you know, make me ready yeah. for use. If I never got ready, then that means, you know, God, you can't use me. And I never did, right? I never did. And in doing like specifically all the church planner stuff that we do, I've really seen God show up in my life and I've really felt what it means to be on mission. And so like, even when you were saying those stuff at the beginning of, of uh, refuge long beach and you're telling everyone, you know, most of you aren't going to be here from a year from now. And this is going to be tough. This is going to be that the next thing. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, how hard could it possibly be? Mm. And, um, and to a great extent, I would say for me, it wasn't very hard. Cause what did I do? You know, I just showed yeah. up and, um, you know, every once in a while, help out with this or help out with that. And, and even the whole idea, and I, I shared this with you last week, even the whole idea of spiritual warfare, I don't know that I've really um, mm. understood that concept. And I would say, you know, the last couple of weeks, for the first time in my life, I felt like I was under some sort of spiritual attack. Yeah. And... I can't explain it any other way than that's what it 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 felt like. That's what it appeared like. It just was out of the blue, one thing after the other, like a Gatling gun. Mm -hmm. And the only thing I could relate it to is, okay, well, look at the stuff that Peyton and I are doing. Look at the people who are reaching. Yeah. Um, I, I remember specifically one, one particular day. I'm not going to say all the details because it's a whole other talk for a whole other day. Really good news in the middle of the day. Mm -hmm. And by that night, it was like just kicked in the gut. I mean, worse than anything I'd ever experienced. And I just remember praying and just for the first time ever in my life, I can say this is what happened. I just remember praising God and just being like, okay, God, you know, you say that you're going to take care of us. We're in your hands. We're in your hands. And you know, what you've done for me and what you've done for my wife, what you've done for my son, we're in. And we praise you for that. And we thank you for that. Yeah. And um, so, you know, I, I look at it like you're saying from there's two different sides, I think. You know, one is there are those who are like itching to get on mission. And then yeah. I would say there are those who are like me, who are more reluctant to get on mission. But the the act of getting on mission, it changes us. That's it. I mean, Satan, all of his guilt tactics are all to keep you from evangelism and mission. That's his tactic. If you ever just, if you ever think, well, why would the devil want me to feel guilty? It's all to keep you from mission. You're only here for mission. If he can basically kneecap you with a sledgehammer through guilt, then you're not going to be able to, to walk or to run anywhere. So, that's his tactics. You're like looking at porn thinking, oh, it's no big deal. It doesn't hurt anybody. You know, I, I still think my wife's sexy. Um, you are being hurt because, number one, there's a, a degree of anointing that you're going to lose on your life. And mm -hmm. I know 
there's people that are like, no, no, man, you can't talk about performance at all. It's all grace. Look, as you know, at one time the reform poster child in uh, in in Wales, uh, I can tell you, yes, it is all about grace, but it's also about power. And your power, I, I could take you to a million scriptures that tell you that if you're not walking in the Spirit, you will not have the power of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, it, it is about power, and it is about anointing. And I want to be as effective as I can. Spurgeon, in his um, uh, lectures to my students, the very first chapter is on the minister's self-watch, which is about, um, he quotes the proverb, you know, the, the axeman must use more strength if his axe be dull. And so he says, stay sharp. And then that way, you know, if you're using a dull axe, you have, it's more exerting. You have to use more blunt force and you get tired or quicker. If you stay sharp, then that axe is just going to cut through like a hot knife, you know, through butter. And, and it's the same in the spirit, right? You are your tools. Um, godliness has profit both in this life, you know, on and on. So, and Paul's not just saying there, oh, it'll profit you. God will bless your life. He's talking there about a prophet, like it, it will make you effective. He keeps talking to Timothy about being useful, being effective. You will not be unfruitful for your ministry if you do this. Um, so that's a key thing, but that's a real sideline for me right now. Sorry about that. But, but going back to what you're saying, I mean, that's a real step for you, Pete. Uh, just in our relationship, you know, where you've been um, saying things like uh, when we first met, right? And I talked to you about spiritual warfare. Um, I said, if you get involved with me, just get ready for the, you know, for the backlash. And uh, and you said, you know, I was a son of a pastor. You know, ministry is not foreign to me. And I remember saying to you, yeah, but this is different. Um, and 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 you said, you said, look, I I'm not sure. I hear Christians pointing at devils behind every bush. And I'm not sure sometimes it's not just life. I mean, life happens to everybody. And that was a valid point. Um, but recently, I mean, I, I think it's sometimes it's just, yeah, you know, this is definitely, uh, this is too much of a coincidence and exactly what you said. I mean, last night I was telling you before the broadcast that uh, my wife and I were in the kitchen and I think it was something like, what are those big things of water? How many gallons are in that thing? Is, is it, it like the one container or is it? Yeah, the big one, you know, like the big. Uh, the one that you get at the grocery store or the one that goes like in your own little dispenser? No, the one at the grocery store. They, it's it like has two and a half gallons. So two and a half gallons is on my refrigerator. Now, it's not hanging off the edge. It's not. And I watched it shoot. I watched it with my eyes. My wife saw it too from across the room. She was actually in the next room, our kitchen and our living. She was in the living room and you can see our kitchen from there. She watched it. I was in the kitchen and watched it happen. Literally flew two feet out from the refrigerator and dropped straight on the floor. And, you know, if it had fallen over, it would hit the counter, but it shot past the counter. There was nothing up there. My, I mean, I have a cat, but he wouldn't be strong enough to do that. It wasn't an earthquake. You know, there were bottles up there and nothing moved. It was, it was spiritual. And we get this from time to time. Um, and, and this is the other thing. You have to tell that, that core team, guys, you have to be committed to being a target. If you join me from here on, from now to the launch, and you're committed to this, there will be a giant target stuck on your back uh, in the spiritual realm. And the enemy will be coming for you because he is going to try to stop us and he will try to take us out one by one. And so just be ready for that to happen. And so like it, it wasn't surprising. Andrew and I sat down and talked and we prayed last night about it. Um, she's used to it now, so she didn't even freak out. I mean, I could sit here and tell you how many times it, you know, and people, I know my listener will say, um, <laughs> My, you know, they'll, they'll be like, oh, no, I don't believe in that. Um, things have appeared in my bedroom. Things have touched me, attacked me. Like, I, I know some of you don't believe this stuff, right? Um, I, I always believed it because my family, you know, had occultic uh, dealings when I was growing up. But the reality is, you know, this is something that happens in my life when I'm on mission. Um, 
the supernatural on the God side happens, the supernatural on the devil side happens. I mean, it's kind of a, it goes with the territory. So I'll see miracles because I'm stepping out of faith. But because I'm stepping out of faith, kind of like Ephesians 6, where Paul says, look, um, if you do all these things, walk in love, walk in the light, you know, everything he lays out in Ephesians chapter 4, and then, you know, you make sure that, you know, your marriage is doing well, and you make sure you're treating your slaves right, and or if you're a slave, you're a good slave, you're a master. It's all for gospel witness, right? That's the whole thing. His whole motivation is gospel witness. The whole theme of Ephesians is you're the temple, you're the place where God's glory shines out um, collectively as a church. So he talks to the individual at the end and he says, get ready. If you do this, if you listen to what I'm writing to you in this book, the enemy's coming for you. And so what does he do? He tells them like you would right before a battle. Um, you remember Braveheart, where Braveheart's on the field and he's, he, he's got a plan. And he all he keeps doing is the troops are, you know, marauders are like coming real close. You know, they're like galloping at breakneck speed, heading towards the battle line. He just goes, hold, hold, hold. He's just telling them, don't break and run. Don't do anything. Just stand. And that's what. Uh, Paul does in Ephesians 6. He tells him, stand, because your enemy's coming and it's going to be, stand therefore in the Lord's power and the power of his might, having done all to stand. He says the word stand six times in Ephesians 6 because the enemy's coming in for a blow and it's going to it's gonna be like Rocky Balboa. You cannot stand against Apollo Creed. If you can just remain standing by the time they ding the bell, right, you will have won. You may not have knocked the enemy out, but if you can stand. So your core team needs to know that they're going to need to be so committed that they're expecting this. So I tell core teams, get ready. Your life's going to fall apart. And we've talked about that before, so I won't go too well, much. Well, you know, I, I'll, I'll just tack on this little tidbit to that, and that is, um, it, you know, being in America – Right, because it might be different for Joey. He's over in Germany, where Christianity is not like it is here in America. Um, we're like in UK, where you served, uh, you know, in Wales. Um, how there wasn't, we described it, or you actually described it on a early podcast of ours. There, there's not a God consciousness over there like there is here. You know, our our president says "God bless America" at the end of every one of his talk. There's a there's a God consciousness, mm-hmm. and you know, going through the experiences that I've gone through the last couple of weeks, um, I I look at it and I'm like, okay, I do not like this. This is not comfortable for me. Mm. But does this mean that finally for the first time in my life I'm ticking off the enemy? Mm. If that's what it means, then one, I should rejoice in that. Okay, great. You know, um, finally, I'm being counted worthy. You know, you look at Acts, yeah, and you look at when they got beat, um, and you know, I think it was the the first couple of chapters in Acts, and they're just like, "Wow, this is great. I'm I'm worthy of this for Christ. Fantastic." And it's you know, it's it's just one of those things where it's like, okay, if I were to back out now, because of everything that's going on in my life, what huh. does that say to my God? Yeah, thanks for saving me. But this is as far as I can go. This is as much as I can repay you. You know, I I can't it, do that. I mean, if it it's going to get worse, it's going to get worse. And, you know, so be it, it I guess. It's so funny because, um, you know, the, the C.T. Stead said it this way. Um, Live in such a way that when you die, the devil throws a party yeah. because you can't do any more damage. Yeah. And. And I love that. Like, I want to be a damage dealer um, for the kingdom of heaven against the kingdom of darkness. Um, and, and, and the which, thing by is, the way, which, by the way, I wonder if that's what happened when Walter Martin died. I wonder if mm-hmm. the devil was like, Hallelujah. oh, absolutely. And Without then, a doubt. Keith Green, Walter Martin. But, uh, but then, it. but then take it one step further. What does his daughter do? His daughter takes his old research and his old writings and comes mm-hmm. out with a new book, The Kingdom of the Occult, in which Walter Martin is named as the author. 
to me, yeah. I was just like, oh, you thought you won? Well, guess not. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. And then two knuckleheads come along and say, hey, we want to partner with you. because <laughs> Will you put us on your radio station? And she goes, we'll have to talk after the beginning of the new year. <laughs> no, she offered. Oh, by the way, guys, we may, we may have a radio show uh, in future. So that's kind of something to watch in future. One more we'll thing we cannot get paid for. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> But we're collectors of those, you you know, like you said, though, you know, it's like we're not doing it for money. It (coughs) excuse me. We're doing this because we're addicted and we're addicted to the work of the kingdom. Like for me right now. Right. Um, It's ironic. I've just handed off a church um, to a team and, you know, that's refuge Long Beach. So I'll still swoop in once a month. But I have now shared. Uh, like I could take a full paycheck and, you know, be relatively, you know, at ease, but, um, uh, instead, uh, I put another guy in, it's the reform pastor, what he says to do, bring another dude on so that the gospel can, can go further faster. And so that's what I do. That's how I live. And right about that time, a big church that's been supporting me kind of did the math in their head and said, well, he's been there two years. They ought to be able to pay him by now, not realizing that's not the paradigm I operate. I operate under Paul's paradigm, which is, hey, you know what? I need I need to get, it, get out of here because um, I can go do damage somewhere else now. And that's why last night when my wife and I talked, I said, hon, whenever, remember now, whenever we're selfless and we hand off a church, uh, and we throw ourselves into the unknown, back into the hands of God, um, and we really start over again with with the, just us and the Holy Spirit. It's always like this. The enemy is always ticked off because we're making decisions not based on money. We're making decisions based on the kingdom. Seek first. The Father himself knows that you have need of all these things. But But the enemy takes notice too. And there's only two types of Christians. You can either be the kind of Christian that Satan ignores because he can or the kind that he cannot ignore because mm-hmm. you're a threat. Yeah. That's it. Are, are, are you someone who is a threat or someone he can ignore? And there's no middle ground in that. Um, so you've, you've got to ask yourself that question. And so the, that's the commitment level that you're looking at. And you cannot uh, be um, uh, shy about that. You have to be honest, but you also have to realize that you are going to be the answer to these people's prayers as you empower and equip them. And again, we will come back. There's so much that we were going to talk about today um, that we didn't get to, but maybe this is what we needed to kind of camp out on. Um, these things that we're talking about um, don't be shy about it. They're your team members. Give them the title of church planner. Let them share in some of the thrill of of hearing themselves. I am a church planner, and then get them to start acting like it. That's mm-hmm. what we're talking about. It's like when you're called a Christian. That means a little Christ. Uh, you know, how would a little Christ act? You know, how would a, a mini Jesus in you know? Southern California in the year 2013, how do you act? We definitely wouldn't act some of the ways I act sometimes. I'll tell you that for sure. But He probably wouldn't say, oh, so you know all about the cults. <laughs> yeah. There, gosh, there are some stories of my week that I would love to tell, but they would serve no purpose other than maybe a podcast confessional. So anyways, Church Planner, thanks for joining us today. Um, we want to really encourage you, if you are going to be in January, if you're going to be around the Costa Mesa, California area, we want to meet you. Um, we want to give you some photo ops to take pictures of us. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> Just joking. Now, we, we would love to meet you guys and uh, get to know you a bit. Um, we're, we're getting to know some of you guys out there, but uh, you know the, the audience is growing all the time. So if you are in the Southern California area and you're looking to church plant, um, particularly if you're looking to church plant in North County, um, I've got my mind on three counties right now. One is Inland Empire, one is LA County, and the other is uh, North County, San Diego for the moment. So if you're in Southern California and you want to talk to me about church planting, I am, I am going into a new phase of ministry where I will be freed up to uh, actually be giving my time to um, uh, helping church planners. It used to be I told planners, come with me. 
and I'll train you um, as you come with me, kind of like Paul did on his second missionary journey. But now I'm doing what Paul did on his third missionary journey. That is, he's training teams and he is sending them out. And so, if you know, I may not be with you, but I may come with you rather than you coming with me. I may come with you. And I'm already, already working with a few teams, got a few irons in the fire, but I would love to help you if you're going to be church planning in any way I can. And uh, one last thing, um, we don't, I, I, I belong to a church planning network called New Breed. This is the end of the year. It is a registered 501c3 charity. The reason that I'm able to do this is because of uh, people's generous donations, contributions, and that sounds so textbook, but it's so true. And you should know, um, but, too, that this one's airing in January, so uh, it's past the end oh, of the year. Oh, yeah. Well, maybe we should flip-flop them then, yeah? Yeah, no. Okay. But uh, if you want to start giving, in that case, end-of-the-year giving <laughs> is important. <laughs> if you want to start giving. <laughs> it's January. Don't wait until five. December now. <laughs> Absolutely. But, yeah, anyways, that was my appeal. And uh, if you're a church planner, hey, get used to making those kind of appeals, right? Because you're going to need to, but... The reality is uh, New Breed is a church planning network, and uh, it is it exists solely to train church planners. So if you ever wonder how I got into this gig, this is my calling, and New Breed is what empowers me and enables me to help guys on the ground. And uh, if you want to give towards that, um, it will help support me. It may help support other people as well. And uh, you can go to newbreedcp.org, and you can contribute there. And uh Anyways, that's my spiel. Pete, anything to close out with? Nope, that's it. Well, hey, Church Planner, thanks for joining us again for the Church Planner Podcast, reminding you that if you want to reach the ones nobody's reaching, you have to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. Game over, man. It's game over. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Music